So in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with love, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Now, that's a relatively long passage of Scripture, to be sure, and there is much that we can discover here if we take the time to break it down a little bit. First, let me say two things to try and focus our minds together on this concept of what it is to be a church that Paul is speaking of. See, according to this passage in Ephesians, the church is designed by God to be part of the mission or sending out of God, what theologians would call the missio dei, the mission of God. This sending by God has one purpose, and that is to woo people back to him. So our purpose here in the world as the church, as the body of Christ, is to be missional, to be ambassadors for Christ, 
spreaders of the gospel, to be the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus in our community. Now, God, being a God of order, in this passage has given it to us through Paul. He has given us a mathematical formula, an equation where A plus B equals C. Now, if you're like my three children in the front row, that doesn't bother you when I say mathematical. But if you're like me, and you hear math, then maybe you're reaching back to the back of your neck because you've got that familiar twinge that harkens back to Miss Parsons' algebra class. <laughs> so if that's you, I apologize for taking you back there. But as I said, God is a God of order, and the validity of mathematics applies in his kingdom. And so it does in this passage from Paul in Ephesians. If we look a little closer, I promise this is not common core math. This is pretty straightforward stuff. It's logical. And it's easy for us to see because Paul gives us the answer right off. And the answer is one. One. Paul says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. See, the answer is one. The answer is completeness. Fullness, wholeness. The answer is maturity to the full stature of Christ. So if one is the answer, what plus what equals one? What's the first part of the equation? If A plus B equals C, and C equals 1, then what are A and B? Well, if we press on our foreheads hard enough to remember Miss Parsons' algebra class, then we might remember that we need a value for either A or B in order to solve the equation. We need to figure out what A is or what B is so that we can realize the complete formula that enables us to reach the answer 1, the number of completeness, the full maturity of Christ. Well, praise God for his word and for Paul who gives us not only the answer to what A is, but also what B is. Miss Parsons' equations were never so easy. Miss Parsons never gave us all the values for the variables like Paul does. Paul writes, But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. So from this we can see that one of the variables is what? Grace. Yes. Through the death and the resurrection of Christ, we were given grace. Grace is the first variable in the equation. A equals grace. Each of us is given grace through Christ who ascended on high and captured captivity itself. What does that mean? Captured captivity itself. It means that after his death on the cross for us, after his resurrection, which conquered death and made a way for us to be reconciled to God through his blood, he ascended from his earthly ministry, he ascended from his earthly manifestation on earth, and he went to sit at the right hand of God. Why did he do that? He did that as our mediator. He did that as our intercessor who daily sits at the right hand of God and speaks words of love and affirmation into the Father's ear on our behalf. For us, for each of us, every day. Words of love and affirmation for you and for me. And when he did that, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and with us. And what did the Holy Spirit bring with him? He brought B. B, the gifts of the Spirit. A plus B equals C. Grace plus the gifts of the Holy Spirit equals one. The fullness and maturity of Christ. Now that's not that difficult to understand. I think Miss Parsons would be proud of all of us. Because we get it. As Christians, we understand this to be true. So we have the basic elements of the equation in place. So let's dig just a little bit deeper into those gifts that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. The ones that Paul specifically mentions in this passage where he says the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So the gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. So that makes sense. That's pretty straightforward, right? Why did he give these specific four? Well, if we read a bit further, it says that he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Well, that makes sense too, doesn't it? He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's all believers, that's us, for the work of ministry. And for building up the body of Christ. That's making disciples, making other believers. So if we know that, what about this? How long, for how long do we have these gifts? 
How long does God intend for us to keep up the equipping of the saints for ministry and the building of the body of Christ? Well, once again, thanks be to God and for Paul, who has the answer to that question also. He writes, Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. See, all of us are called to do the work of ministry. Some are called to the roles of apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And we have those gifts until all of us, all of God's people, come to the solution to God's equation, which is oneness, which is perfect unity in the faith, in the knowledge of Christ, and to the fullness of maturity in Him. Well, that makes sense too, except for one thing, Pastor. I see pastors and teachers today in the church. I even see evangelists in the church. But what about apostles and prophets? I don't really see them today, do I? And if I do see them, I'm not all that sure that they're the real deal, Pastor. That's kind of troubling, isn't it? That there are so many false prophets out there in the world. So many people who make claims that profess some kind of knowledge about the end times, for example, that none of the rest of us seem to be privy to. There are deceivers and charlatans making claims for their own purposes and agendas and even for monetary gain. And if someone claims to be a prophet or an apostle these days, I'm not sure that we trust them because of the present age that we live in, this age of this present darkness. And then to go along with that, we have a tendency in the Western church especially where we have this culture that sees apostles and prophets as something of the past, as something that belonged to the early church but doesn't manifest itself today. Now that's troubling because if A plus B equals C and we need all of A and all of B to equal one, then we can't have just half of B. We can't have just pastors, teachers, and evangelists. We have to have the apostles and the prophets also. Paul says that all four of these offices are called for the work of equipping the saints and that all four of them are given to complete the work to get all of us to the fullness of Christ. Without all of B, without all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how can we ever reach the solution, the fullness of Christ? How can we ever get to one? We need all four, not just in the early church, but here and now in the present. How do we do that if apostles and prophets belong only to the early church and have no place in our present day? Let's look at apostles. What are apostles? The word comes from the Greek word apostolos. 
which is a messenger, an envoy, one who is commissioned and sent forth bearing the full authority of the sender. Now that's interesting because if we go to our Latin dictionary, we see that the word that fits that definition is missio. Remember I said missio Dei was the mission of God? Missio. It's the word that we get the word missionary from. Missionaries fill that apostolic function in the church today. And church planters, I think, fill that apostolic function. And we have to take care when we think of missionaries not just to think of those that go out and dig water wells in foreign lands or take medical teams into Africa or South America. The apostolic function of a missional church like Countryside United Methodist Church is to be the church in our own community. We take the mission and the sending of God to the people in Splendora and surrounding area because those people need to know Jesus. Okay, so I think I get that there are people doing apostolic work in the church today, but what about prophets? Let's look at the prophetic function of the church. Who are prophets and what do they do? If we look at Strong's Concordance, the Greek word for prophet is prophetess, which means a person who's gifted in expositing divine truth, one who speaks forth by the inspiration of God, one who declares the mind of God, which sometimes, but not always, predicts the future. So the prophetic function of the church is that part of the sending out of God into the world to speak forth the mind of God. And with that understanding, we can see that the prophetic function of aligning ourselves with the mind and the will of God is certainly alive in the church today. Now, we're not going to be adding books to the Bible. We're not going to add the book of Bobby. It's not going to happen. But as we do the work of the saints ministering to the people, we have to be diligent about spreading the prophetic word of Christ coming again. We have to always be telling people that his return is imminent and that we have to be ready when he comes. And nobody knows the day, not even the son himself, but God does. And when he says, go get my children in the blink of an eye, Jesus will return for his people. There's a whole world out there that needs to know that. There are people right outside those doors that don't know it. On the way here this morning, I drove past a golf course of people who are enjoying a game of golf this morning, and I'm not saying they don't know Jesus, 
But I'm saying that this morning, they're not focused on Him. There's nothing wrong with golf. I'm really bad at it. My son's really good at it. There's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities. But there is a time to be here, and I'm preaching to the choir, and I know it. But each of us knows somebody that needs to hear this message of of Christ coming again. And if we don't tell them, who will? Now granted, we probably have neglected the apostolic and the prophetic functions in the church today. And those of us who are called to those roles might be hesitant to acknowledge and use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us to be apostolic and prophetic because we have established a culture, even in the church, of skepticism. But there's no getting around the truth that each of these offices, apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers and evangelists, each of these are required in the here and now, right now today, so that we can complete the equipping of the saints, of all of us, for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ, to bring those people into the body who aren't, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, who He is, what He's done for us, so that we can be like Him, so that we can be mature in the measure to the full measure of the stature of Christ. This is not just for the early church. This is for Countryside United Methodist Church. If we are to fulfill our role as ministers in the community, then we need to honor and use the gifts and the roles that we've been called to be. And Paul tells us, he goes on a little further, and he tells us how and why. He says, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. There are people out there that are preaching things that are just not true. And it's up to all of us to correct those things. And how do we do it? We do it Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. That's our mission as Christians. That's our mission as the body of Christ. It's our mission as a church. And it's our mission in this community. And I have to tell you, and I've been here a short time, but I think I'm starting to get to know who you are, at, at least as a collection of people gathered as the body of Christ. And I can tell you that I see such promise in each of you. Because you have within you the gifts, the inspiration, and the power of the Holy Spirit to be ministers. 
Ministers of the faith to this community. You may never go anywhere and dig a water well. You may never go to Nepal and preach the gospel to the unreached. But there are plenty of unreached right here in Splendora. And you have within you the abiding love of Jesus to be the missional church you are called to be. So as we go forward together, you and I, keeping our eyes on the cross and heeding the guidance of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that each of you will explore the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you. We'll look at some of those individual gifts in the weeks to come. And we can have conversations, you and I, about what your gifts might be if you have questions. But together we're going to boldly step out the doors of, those, the, the, doors of the church here into the mission field, which begins right on the other side of the doors. And we will go and proclaim the name that is above all names. And to whom every knee will bow. Jesus Christ, forever He reigns. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.